This is Design Safe Radio, where natural hazards researchers strive to make our society more resilient to everything nature throws at us. The third one is the trickiest. Uh, this one what we call in the world. <laughs> wow. We call spandrel units and, and ribbon windows. So, so I think for architectural features, if you're going for a certain type of look, someone mm-hmm. might use this system. So yeah, uh, basically these big wide plate glass windows and you've got kind right. of three different orientations of, of being able to wrap around. I'm thinking like, you know, corner offices and you know, right, rooftop right. bars and things like that. Like this could be in, in structures like that eventually. Yeah. And I, I think that for certain, again, for certain um, forms of architecture, this, this type of construction is, very common. So um, as you said, uh, the spandrel units are like the front with the wall framing are attached back to the floor slab. Uh, and then between there's one of those at every floors and every floor. And then between those units, uh, we have a, a row of windows, a strip of windows. So how do you accommodate the movement in this one? By, by necessity, these spandrel units have to be attached rigidly to the floor slabs. And in fact, they, ha- they have to have two points of attachment to prevent them from like rotating. It looks like a combination of the past two uh, yeah. yes. solutions yes. in a way. So to accommodate, we have a slip joint at the top of the window and um, all around and so the yeah the spandrel unit's going to stay rigidly attached to the slab. All the drift is going to occur over the window unit itself, and you have the incompatibility of mm-hmm. at the corner. We use a similar joint. Well, let me backtrack a little. We um, we did not we do not have a joint on every floor for this one. Uh, we did want to see kind of what happens at these corner window units. Um, they have some ability to accommodate that movement at the corner, but not a ton. Um, I think they they will say about about a half inch or so. So we want to see like uh, you know how far can so you? So you're gonna let one of them one of them break. <laughs> but I, I admittedly this is our most vulnerable system. At yeah. the second story, we wanted to see, um, and so my graphic doesn't represent it well, but we wanted to see if we could uh, protect the window unit with um, a joint. So we have a sim- we have CS groups um, expansion joints similar to what we used in CFS one at the corners of the second floor only. So what we're expecting is that the second floor will perform a lot better. Our last sub-assembly is the glass curtain wall, as I mentioned before, is supplied by technical glass products. And it's a, a C-shaped a sub-assembly on one corner of the building. Yeah, curtain walls in general are um, built from typically aluminum framing. They call them mullions, horizontal and vertical mullions with a glass mm-hmm. set in, in between. And the framing itself is designed as a racking system. Like the, the joints are not rigid and can accommodate deformation. Um, so the whole system can rack without a lot of damage. And then the glass is fit into uh, in between the framing units with a little bit of clearance. And so this visual here kind of mm. illustrates what happens. 
the glass can actually rotate within the frame. And curtain wall, glass curtain walls have been reasonably well studied. Um, Ali Mamari from Penn State has done quite a bit of research and they have a rocking facility. Mm. They do unidirectional testing of mostly planar units. So our question here is just, does a more realistic system under more realistic shaking perform as expected or there are some things we've been missing from the mm. unidirectional racking tests. Wow. So that's the, that's the last system. And, and we expect um, that we hope that it will not be damaged out to uh, the drifts that we expect for the maximum earthquake in this, in this building. But that's why we test it, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, there's, yep. there's a, a, a whole lot of uncertainty that, at least for now, we can only accommodate by doing this in full scale, real world. Yes. Uh, I'd also like to mention that Technical Glass Products um, has a special system that's fire fire rated, fireproof. And they oh, wow. have like an inch and, inch and a quarter, I believe, uh, thick glass. <laughs> so very, very heavy glass panels. Wow. They use steel framing rather than aluminum framing. And it's a very a robust system. Uh, so this one is actually complete on our building. It was, I mentioned, I think I mentioned or alluded to the fact Long's glazing and door uh, had been installing that over the past couple of weeks and they just finished on Monday. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to see it. Oh, that's so cool. Um, so al along with all these, if, if you're like me, just drooling at all this. So um, I am, trust me. Am yeah. Drooling. <laughs> so if you're listening along and going, oh man, this is, this is amazing. So they, they actually have a live look-in video system at UC San Diego. We'll put the link below in, in the show notes for all these so that you can look and see what's going on any day that Tallwood is on the shake table. Um, Correct. And, and they have multiple views. And there's a, so there's, there's a lot going on here. And and as we've alluded to, it's, it's not just the structural components. It's not just the technical parts of the non-structural components, but there's some architectural uh, value, uh, value to other fields. Um, can you talk about some of the, the uh, ways that Tallwood and and the Tallwood Design Institute that is working with all of your partners is working to um, help work with different fields? Correct. I think, you know, one of the, the great thing about the non-structural scope of work of this project is that it does overlap into architecture. And so we have um, attracted different partners on the project that probably normally wouldn't be so in tune to seismic issues, but are now um, in tune to seismic issues. And we do have some architects on the project and they, they, they advise about the, the these exterior sub-assemblies and um, it, it's, it's all architectural, really. Uh, most of the needs in, in uh, exterior sub-assemblies are driven by architecture, uh, architectural concerns and so on. Um, I didn't mention, we, are, we also have a number of interior walls and it's it's similar architectural concerns as well, but functional concerns as well. So I, I, yeah, I think that's the, um, the main way that with this project, we really are expanding the audience of people that will be um, tuned into seismic issues and taking a little bit more consideration of that into the design and detailing yeah yeah one of the great um 
things that is, is coming out of this project and um the the Talbot Design Institute just had their mass timber research symposium last week up in uh, Corvallis, Oregon, um, and I got to go up there and see some presentations by our our colleague Barb Simpson was one of them, and she talked about the data reuse opportunities from this project and and other follow on ones that you know for those who aren't going to be able to be in your research team, they can <laughs> still use what you guys are are putting together for their own research questions around mass timber buildings, uh, tall structures. Can you talk a bit about that uh, opportunity for, for data reuse and building your own numerical models as you're doing your research? Yes, correct. As you know, uh, all of these projects funded through NERI um, must uh, archive all of our data in DesignSafe. For this project, we'll have at least 750 sensors, different, wow. uh, <laughs> different sensors to record the movement of the building um, to re record the drift, to record the accelerations, and um, to for the structural system, there's some other things they want to measure: load cells to get the post tensioning forces, and so on. For our purpose, my my group, what we're really interested in is um, displacement transducers to to measure the slip and measure the movement across joints and to see that mm. they're working like we anticipate. So um, that's what we're we're hoping to gain out of that. Um, yeah, I, I think when you record that much data for a building, there uh, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Yeah. And there's, uh, I, I have been a, involved in a large project like this in the past. And sometimes it's hard for the, the research team to, to um, you know, really make use of all the data that we record. And so uh, there will certainly be opportunities for others who want to try to model the structure or look at um, the performance of, of the different non-structural systems, do non-structure and non-structural interaction type studies. Um, yeah, I mean, all the, all the details will be available and the data will be available uh, following the conclusion of this project for people to make use of. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Design Safe Radio. We really appreciate it. Smash that like button if you're watching this on YouTube. Hit that little subscribe button. That really helps us out and bring this message to more people who are interested in hearing about how our engineers and scientists are making our society more resilient to everything nature throws at us. A big thank you to our sponsors at the National Science Foundation. Our award number is 21297. 8-2, and a big thank you to our program officer, Joy Kowski, who is excellent. And our team at the National Science Foundation's Network Coordination Office for NARI, um, Marty Lachance is our question writer and copy editor extraordinaire. Raquel Ruiz manages all things technical and editorial. And Morgan Glass is our social media coordinator. Big thank you to everybody at the NARI NCO and all of our experimental facilities. Thank you and have a great day.